As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to the Earth Keepers podcast. Well, I'm hard at work on the episodes for season four right now, I wanted to pop in today with a bonus episode between the seasons for a very special reason. This episode is a bit of a celebration of you, because while the podcast has been on hiatus, you all have continued to find it and listen, and in the past couple of weeks, this little show hit a huge milestone, 100,000 downloads. Honestly, I can't even fathom that number or how many of you there are actually listening. If you're new around here, the podcast is a more recent project that began in the fall of 2020 after at least a year of poking and prodding by my guides. Prior to that, I had written my stories for my blog for more than five years and was perfectly content to continue doing so. I couldn't comprehend how to translate that into a podcast for a long time. But finally I did, and I just let it flow as it wanted to flow. We've talked about plants and plant medicine, ancient history and hidden history, portals, stargates, timelines, and the spirits of the land. Not to mention an entire season dedicated to my very personal ancestral story. Not exactly a cohesive project on paper, but it makes sense to me, and it seems to make sense to you too. So. Thank you for being here with me, for helping me feel less weird or less alone on this journey. When I realized we were going to cross this downloads milestone, which, let's be honest, really doesn't mean anything other than the fact that you all must like it and I should keep making it. I asked on Instagram what we should do to celebrate, and you all said, make a bonus episode. So here I am, making a bonus episode. I hope that you'll enjoy it. Now, like I said, season four is coming soon, and I am so excited for it. It's going to be totally different than any of the past seasons, and there'll be lots of interviews with amazing people doing some really exciting things that I think you'll find super inspirational. I'm hoping to kick off the season around the end of June or beginning of July, so stay tuned. Now, one other housekeeping note. Last season, I shared expanded interviews with my podcast guests on my YouTube channel, and you all seem to really enjoy that. So starting with this episode, I will be recording video when I record podcast episodes, so you'll have the option to watch or listen, whichever you prefer. And a little behind-the-scenes note on that. People ask me all the time if my episodes are written ahead of time, and I will take that as a compliment if you're not sure, because I never want you to feel like I'm reading from a script. But yes, I spend hours upon hours researching and writing each episode. It's part of my process, and it's how I work with the nature spirits. Whether I'm in shamanic journey, or I'm writing a blog post or a podcast episode, I channel more easily writing by hand or typing. So I get into a meditative state and then let the messages flow. So just a note if you head over to YouTube to watch the video that you will see me reading from what I've written. Will that be weird? I'm not totally sure yet, but let's try it and find out. 
Also, if you don't want to watch or listen and just want to read instead, like the good old blogging days, there's always a link to the full transcript in the show notes. Now, on one final note, I do want to mention the Earth Tenders Academy, which is my online course and community where you can dive much deeper into all the topics we discuss here on the podcast and learn how to do this work with the spirits of the land and the energies of the earth for yourself. I just finished hosting our spring retreat where we actually gather in person somewhere in the world to work with the land in that location. And a few of the attendees were picking my brain about how and why I created my business the way that I did. Now, if you notice, other than some one-off projects or sessions that I'm led by spirit to share, I pretty much have one offering and it's available all the time. No open and close dates, no crazy launches, no high pressure sales. I don't have a membership program for you to pay me every month forever or an escalating suite of programs or courses to keep you coming back as a customer again and again. Now, I take no issue with anyone who enjoys working and running their business that way, but that is just not what I'm doing here. Honestly, I don't have the time and desire to run a business like that. If I did, I would spend all of my time at my computer managing it all rather than getting outside and communing with the spirits and hopefully doing my little part to make the world a better place. Because that is what I'm doing here. I'm spreading a message. I want everyone to reconnect with the earth because I think it's the one thing that will override the toxic culture we're living in and begin creating something new and different. So I will share as much as I can as freely as I can. And for those of you who feel called to this path in an even deeper way, who listen to these episodes and say, this is my path too. For you, I have the Earth Tenders Academy, where you don't just learn, but you practice and experience and figure out how to add your special sauce to this collaborative creation we're making. You can join our live calls and our in-person events for ever and ever if you want. Once you're an Earth Tender, you're always an Earth Tender. And when you join me, you're helping me to pay the bills and keep the roof over my head and continue sharing this message with the world. So thank you again for being here, however you found your way. I couldn't do it all without you. And I am so, so grateful that this is the life that I get to live. You can find a link to learn more about the Earth Tenders Academy in the show notes or go to earthtendersacademy.com. Okay, now on with the bonus episode, because although it's been a few months since the final episode of season three, I feel like I'm picking up with this bonus episode right where I left off, with the bees. Now, if you remember, the last episode was an interview with beekeeper and bee shaman, Ariella Daly. We talked about the mystery and the myths surrounding bees in cultures around the world. And in the months between then and now, the bees are gently working their way into my consciousness on an even deeper level. But... Before we talk about the bees, I feel like I should share a bit about what happened after I wrapped the last season, because it was a significant shift. Once I had put my Mormon life to rest and finished the final episode of that season, I woke up one morning a week or two later and suddenly felt like a completely different person. I had switched timelines. I could definitely feel it. All of the intense energy from the past three years was just gone. And I realized that in many ways, I had been gone too, especially over the past year. I'd still been here physically, but energetically, I had been firmly in that other timeline. All of the researching and reading and learning I'd been doing had been pushed and powered by some other piece of me, and that piece was now gone, or rather, at rest. 
I suddenly had zero interest or desire to continue following that story. Whatever agreement I had made to untangle that complicated lifetime in this one was complete. I was now back in this timeline and ready to move forward. I'd really been in a liminal space that I see now was created and held by the fungal kingdom for the time and space I needed to work out this unsettled piece of my soul. How do I know that I was held by the mushrooms for this journey? Because they very suddenly left me as well. Once my other lifetime had been fully composted back into the soil, the mycelium service to the greater whole was complete. And the moment I shifted back to this timeline, their three-year-long, nearly constant presence was gone. No more dreams, no more messages. Our time together seems to be done, at least for now. So for those of you asking if I'll be offering the Amanita experience again, my answer at the moment is no. I can't even remember all that I learned about working with them last year. Questions I knew the answer to off the top of my head and based on my own experiences are just gone. I can't even find them in my consciousness now. It's such a strange feeling. But I thought it was an important experience to share because I know many of you are on your own journeys with the fungi kingdom in one form or another. And had I not listened to their loud and incessant calls back in 2019, I would not have been able to take this journey and reach the other side. They were the link between this lifetime and the others and acted as my trusted guides. And they're showing me now as I'm writing this, an image of Dorothy skipping down the yellow brick road with her companions. I think I'm supposed to be Dorothy here, and while I may have believed that they were the ones leading me down the path, I really was the one with the power all along. They were just keeping me company while I was in the land of Oz. And so here I am now, back in this timeline, whatever that means, moving forward feeling free of the burden of Dan's Mormon life. Now, if you missed that story, you can go back to episode 81 called the one where I meet my past self to hear it. But as much as these timelines feel very separate and different, I still have pieces of my soul connected to all of my other lives. And so it's no surprise that there are themes that continue to bleed through. And one of those themes is bees. Of course, my Mormon self would have felt a connection to the symbology of the honeybee and the hive. It was a symbol from the Book of Mormon associated with migration to the promised land a land of milk and honey. Bees have long been a symbol in many groups and organizations for hard work and cooperation. But of course, there's so much more to it than that. And over the past few months, the bees have been revealing that to me bit by bit. Remember the reading I had with Carrie Koss in episode 72, Utah Ley Lines and Visions of Utopia? I didn't include this part of the reading in the episode, but she had also received a big message for me around the bees in that session. I literally, and I kid you not, saw this of you communicating with the queens, queen bees, and um, and then having. Oh, I'm getting the chills. Okay, getting. Oh, getting having conversations with them and asking them of how can we repopulate so that Earth is tended to. That's totally your theme. And what can we do together? And it's almost like a meeting of the queens. Um, and I just find it interesting, as you know well and good, that in the Mormon church, one of their symbols is the beehive. I will tell you, as you know, they, uh, just like uh, Christians did with, with all of us, you know, earth-based religion folk, they perverted this amazing symbol. We know this. Exactly. Okay, so here's the deal. But they're telling me that you should be meeting with the queen bees and just um, connecting with them and just going out on your land and having a meeting with them. And then setting your intentions, because we all know, and it's just like the Sasquatch, the way the 
the queen bee communicates is by that frequency, right? She can be in one place as a powerful being, but then she spreads out her web. Ooh, I'm getting the chills. And this is just like Sasquatch, you know, that that's how they communicate and sending out those sonar they're, you know, out into their path. And again, this goes back to you with the net, right? So whatever it is that you want to heal, connect with, but also you can work with others doing this in your group in the Earth Tenders Academy. And this is just like, there's a lot of magic in here. And it's almost like the, the queen bees are feeling a little safer and that they don't have to be quite as protected as they used to be. So they're willing to work with humans more, um, those that pay attention. For sure. So it's interesting. I feel like there's going to be one or two that you're going to work with that are like the queen of the queens. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the matriarch of the queen bees. Like there's a few that I feel like there's either, there is one in Montana. I'm feeling like in their network, there's probably four or five in the United States that are the queen of the queens. And it's a consciousness they're telling me. Um, and so when you network with them, oh boy, how much can they tell you about so many things? The other thing I'm getting information on, and this is something I got from a that's coming to me. I got a, one of my guides um, is from uh, a Syrian uh, being, part of my soul, my soul family, right? And there was a time she told me two years ago that we shouldn't worry about the earth because we are being re about uh, global warming because and about our plants life because we're being reseeded from other, we are, you've mentioned this before, we receded from other planets. So not to worry. And here's what I'm seeing again. Okay. This is what they're telling me. Just like the Sasquatch, the queen bees are the inner, the connection of, for the um, galactic and these portals and the stargates that they can also connect with those elemental beings that are helping to re ooh, reframe the entire web of the planet. Wow. This frequency is so gentle, Amy. It's really so sublime and very, very, it's a very fun. It's like the finest honey, um, f- the finest gold frequency. And it literally, I see it like populating the entire planet as a connection. And you know what they're telling me? It's like a symbol for It's like in the connective tissue when you have lubricant, it's like the connective tissue of the entire, um, all all of our, as we move into crystalline frequency, it's like a, it's, that's like one of the pieces of our DNA. So it's, and everything around us, plants, animals, everything. So I feel like this is next, your next iteration of some work is this way, it's a much finer, delicate frequency Whereas, you know, you've been working like seriously, like getting in there with a lot of that, you know, energy of masculine of like, okay, we're going to get in there and we're going to clean this crap out and we're going to move all this, right? Like kind of like in the mail, which we love that. And now it's like, they're literally telling you, okay, back up, sit in your feminine frequency mm-hmm. and then talk on that way all year. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm such getting a download. I'm, I'm so going to be here for whatever you do. I don't know what you're planning, but I'm coming over. There are so many interesting tidbits in that portion of the reading, but I will completely agree with Carrie's assessment that the energy of the queen bee is incredibly gentle. It really is more of a frequency, which is interesting because I realize that's how most of my guides speak to me. I'm the one that feels into the frequencies they share and then assigns human words to it. Bigfoot doesn't chat my ear off, and neither did the mushrooms. And the queen bee doesn't either. They sit, 
quietly waiting for me to receive the messages they've transmitted out into the ether. And when Carrie mentioned the Queen of Queens, I thought of the book The Song of Increase, Listening to the Wisdom of Honeybees for Kinder Beekeeping and a Better World by Jacqueline Freeman. The book is filled with channeled messages from honeybees, and in one chapter they explain that each hive has an overlighting being who is the representative of the hive and responsible to the overall bee kingdom. This being is aligned with the highest expression of its beeness and how a hive is contributing to the evolution of bees as a whole. The overlighting being holds the history of the hive and speaks on its behalf. If something goes wrong with the hive, this being acting in correct relationship with nature will ask the hive to remove itself from the family of bees so as to not carry the weakness of a particular hive forward. So I perceive this queen of queens as the consciousness that oversees all of these overlighting beings, perfectly in tune with the perfect nature of our planet, and also highly attuned to anything anywhere that's vibrating out of tune. Furthermore, the bees share that the hive is a wholeness. One bee experiences all that every bee experiences, a true unity consciousness. The bees explain that as they touch each flower, they deliver the signature of their creation and that after their touch, each plant has a rising helix that joins earth, matter, and ether, which enlivens the atmosphere. While we tend to think of pollination as simply a form of reproduction for the plants, There is so much more happening that we cannot perceive with our human eyes. The act of pollinating revitalizes the atmosphere and the oxygen that we breathe. And the bees further say that where there are strong hives, there will be flourishing nature spirits. The nature spirits see each bee and each hive as a beacon of light, a spiritual nourishment for the earth, and a place of deep reverence. The nature spirits will come to these places to recharge and revitalize themselves, as the light of the hive is nourishment for the spirit world. Bees and their hives are temples of the spirit world. Pretty incredible, right? And since reading this book last summer, I've been meditating on this connection between bees and temples. Why were bees such a big part of ancient temple rituals and symbols? Why were people so enchanted by these tiny little insects? These are some of the questions I asked Ariella in our discussion earlier this year. But it occurs to me that if these bee temples were visible on the spirit plane, of course the humans who were sensitive to that energy would have had the idea to build physical temples in this plane as well. And what soul-nourishing places of respite they must have been for the humans, the bees, the nature spirits, and every being who visited. A true collaboration between our two worlds. People following the template created by the bees. And we'll come back to templates in a bit. But first, let's talk about the temples. There are the ones we know, like the world-famous Oracle at Delphi, where the prophetesses not only predicted the future, but also gave wise counsel and guidance to the leaders and politicians at the time. This oracle was referred to as the Delphic Bee. And, of course, the Eleusinian Mysteries, which I discussed back in episode 74, Goddess Worship in the Ancient Temples, was a festival celebrating an epiphany about life after death and the experience of death with two goddess figures, Persephone and Demeter. The priestesses of Eleusis were known as the Melissa, which translates to bee. But there are many lesser-known temples dedicated to bees and fertility that can be found all over the world. In Mesoamerica, the Mayan glyph for fertility depicts a cave 
with a beehive inside. Caves themselves were believed to possess powers of fertility. Aztec and Maya pyramids were sometimes erected over sacred caves. In fact, the Aztec Pyramid of the Sun was placed directly over a previously used oracular cave. In some traditions, shamanic apprentices were required to locate caves blindfolded, which would certainly determine which members of a group were more highly attuned to locations with unique geophysical properties the same ones that the bees are attracted to. Now, the book Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty explains these fertility connections to sacred temples in terms of agriculture. The heightened earth energies present in a particular location, along with certain types of magnetic rock present in the geology of the place, and some kind of moving water combine to make a potent type of energy that significantly improves the quality of seeds exposed to these geomagnetic fields. So placing seeds in a particular cave would have been an annual pilgrimage to ensure the health of the coming year's crops and the health of the people in the community. But why the beehive symbol inside the cave? Well, the authors never explain if they have a particular theory on that, although they do describe many of these fertility sites as being beehive-shaped. From the Potopoto rock chambers in the Andes to the stone mounds of New England and other similar structures from Ireland to India. Most of these less impressive looking structures are about 15 feet across and covered with a huge pile of dirt. The walls of the piled stones curve inward as they rise to a height of seven to eight feet, at which point the walls stop and table-sized slabs of stone lie flat over the dome to create the ceiling. But as unassuming as the rock chambers are, the authors found that the air inside the chambers was anything but normal. The top few feet of air near the ceiling had a negative electric charge, while the air near the floor was positive. Now this is the opposite of the normal fair weather electric field of the earth. It was more like the charged atmosphere created during a thunderstorm. As air moved across the charged magnetic rock located at the entrance to the chamber, it was electrified. And that charged air had positive impacts on people, plants, animals, and seeds. It would have been an important place to mark. But I think we have to go back to the Song of Increase for another answer to the beehive connection to fertility. And the chapter on drones called the holiest of beings. Now, if you're not familiar with the different members of a beehive, the drones are the male bees, far outnumbered by their sisters who do all the busy work of the hive. Now, we've always been told that the drone's one and only job is to fly around, hopefully find a virgin queen to mate with, after which he immediately dies. But Jacqueline notes in the book that when she first saw the eyes on a drone bee, she marveled at how they covered his entire head and decided that there must be something more to see when a being has eyes that big. Now, drones have no stingers, and unlike the maiden bees who hurry around to get their tasks completed, drones kind of wander around slowly and happily. Most commercial beekeepers find them to be completely useless to the hive, and will cull and kill the drone eggs. But no matter how often they do this, the queen continues to lay more to replace the missing drone population. They're critical to the success of the hive carrying the genetic line of their hive's queen out into the world to mate with the virgin queens from other hives, ensuring the genetic lineage of their hive lead, ensuring the genetic lineage of their hive lives on. Because the bees experience their hive through unity consciousness, when a drone leaves the hive, the queen and maidens experience the world through his experiences. The entire hive benefits from the wisdom and knowledge gathered from the larger bee community. Rudolf Steiner called the drones the sense organ of the hive. The drones are the wisdom keepers and the storytellers of each colony. They have a special ancestral song that they sing to the baby bees. 
like a ceremonial birth song to tell the newbies about their collective journey through history, along with the spiritual and functional purpose of honeybees in the world. While the drones sing of the past, the maidens sing a song of their own to the eggs in each honeycomb cell, telling the babies about life in the hive at the present moment. So the maiden song tells newbies what their job will be, and the drones tell them why. Baby bees who have never heard the song of ancestral knowledge from the drones in their hive are missing a critical piece of knowledge that they need to fulfill their role on Earth. Kind of feels like our society today, doesn't it? But outside of their role as vibratory record keepers, the drones do, in fact, have the incredibly important job of mating with virgin queens. And this has everything to do with Earth energies and sacred sites. When I read the bees' account of these mating experiences, it's like my whole body lit up with an ancient remembrance of my own and my own past lives with the bees. Now, I want to share it with you as Jacqueline channeled it and shared it in the book because it feels so special but also feels so important for us to remember. I hope it sparks something in you as it did in me. Here is the bee's account. The earth has a light of its own deep within it. Across the land, there are energetic openings in the earth's surface called lumens, where the earth's light and sunlight joyously communicate with each other, singing earth's planetary signature and contributing to the blended symphonic sound of all of the planet's chords. Inside the sparkling cone-shaped lumen, the Earth focuses on the Sun's light in acknowledgement of the gravitational relationship between the Earth and the Sun. The natural mating flights of honeybees take place in the lumen, in portals visible to drones and queens. These light-emitting areas where the Sun speaks with the Earth are gravitationally uplifting places. And the drones know this. The drones' wondrous eyes are capable of seeing the lumen glow. Another way their eyes differ from the mated bees. With the lumen, the Gnostic drones spin and whirl, taking great delight in the lightness of the air that buoys up their heavy bodies. Drones are drawn to a specific place within the lumen, often a few hundred feet up, where a higher focus of intention occurs. Humans name these locations drone congregation areas, but to bees, the drone site is called a scarp and is known to all of the colonies in each area. Drones from all the nearby hives spend much of their afternoons drifting in the scarps. When the sun moves to midday, the drones emerge from their hives and hasten to the scarp. The drones fly an embosoming blanket, drawing circles and figure eights over and over, laying the sheet of the virgin bower. They weave a bed of prayers, a holy sanctuary of tremendous knowledge and healing. When the Virgin Queen emerges from her hive, she surveys the landscape, looking for the lumen. When she sights it, she spreads her wings and flies directly to it, entering the lumen low in the light cone. Once she's in the lumen, the lumen's glow turns everything on in her, illuminates her, even changes her color. The light opens and gives her knowledge of her role. In her hive birth, the queen was born into her body. The lumen birth now bears her into her life purpose. Upon entering the light, the queen is quickened. Blessed by the light as in a christening, she is made holy. At the base of the lumen, she aligns herself over the opening and focuses her intent on the ascent. The beacon of light that emanates from these earth energy points is charged by her stimulatory energy as she flies up and into the lumen. Though humans may think the purpose of the young queen's marital flight is only to mate, the new queen flies with a more developed intention. Her maiden flight has deeper purposes that raise her into the sky. She was born with a fundamental imperative to deliver her hive's message to the sun. 
This message describes her incarnation and the conditions about her as she rises to the mating. In delivering this message, she unlocks and begins her metier as mother of the hive. She shares this communication and her hive's physical and spiritual genealogy as she opens herself to the sun. Her next message is to the heavens. Each virgin queen carries a distinct sound, an audible vibration of joyous expectation. When the queen pierces the earth cover during her mating flight, she shoots a bolt of knowledge, all that the hive is aware of in a message from the earth, launching it outward to the planets, conveying the progress being made on earth. In our creation song, the drones sing of the queen's lumen birth to the pips, so the young bees hear this part of the story. The drones sing about the lumen, how the queen is blessed and made holy as she ascends in the lumen's earth light, and the knowledge of her purpose comes into her. The lumen causes her pheromone to bloom, expanding the scent of her holy purpose. Beginning below the blanket of drones, she rises at great speed until she pierces their circling field. She flies straight up towards the sun through massed layers of drones, spreading her scent. When the scent enters a drone, he becomes singularly focused on catching and mating with the young queen. She flies upward toward the sun as the knowledge unseals and opens in her. Information pours in. She glows and becomes stronger. The drones with their wonderful eyes see the light filling her. As the drone launches upward, the gravitational force pushes on his abdomen, forcing his phallus, till now unbidden, down and out from the base of his abdomen. Ready for mating, the fastest drone reaches the queen, joins her, delivers his seed in the tumult of creation, and falls backward to earth, dying before he reaches the ground. The next drone reaches her, removes the first drone's remaining part, and joins her, each drone successively entering her and delivering his seed. This union of each is a spark, a cumulative bright light that bursts into the atmosphere. Each consecutive union renews the message to the spiritual realm. The sky glows in the lumen, the holy point where heaven and earth merge in creation. The queen's flight and the drone's mating build the strength of this outward beam. The queen exerts her energy towards the sun, and if she continued onward, she would exhaust herself in flight. The drone reaches and embraces her. He fills her with his seed. She flies on toward the sun, becoming more whole, more holy, until at last, the weight of her knowledge and the compass of her seed turn her earthward toward her hive, and her new life as queen. These mating sites, the scarps, are earth acupuncture points, each a fountain of renewal for the earth sending knowledge out to the heavens and coursing and acknowledging energy deep into the earth. This piercing energy is a union of heaven and earth. It is of great import that these earth acupuncture points be stimulated by the natural union of the bees each year at the right time. The lumens are tremendously holy and often near shrines as they are themselves holy entry points. People who move through these places feel uplifted in spirit and grounded in purpose. Pretty powerful imagery from the bees, isn't it? And of course the ancient shamans or prophetesses would have also communed with the bees and heard this beautiful story about their communion, not only with each other, but with the sun and the earth and the ether in these places. It wouldn't have been a big leap to say that these places that were so important to bee fertility would have also been important to the fertility of the soil and the seeds and the people who live there. And perhaps there were even people sensitive enough to also hear the messages that the bees were sharing with the sun and the planets and the earth and 
take them as a kind of annual report on the overall health of all beings in that location. They may have noted the importance of this location by drawing a beehive on a cave wall or by concentrating that earth energy inside a beehive-shaped structure. It would have been holy indeed to live near a lumen, an earth acupuncture point, an energetic portal from this world to another. And this brings me to the messages that the bees have begun to share with me in the past few months. I think we tend to think of these monumental sacred sites as few and far between, places we would need to take pilgrimage to. And while the grand locations are certainly more rare, these lumens, or important points of earth energy, are not. Every hive of honeybees lives within proximity to one, which tells you how many there are scattered across the earth. The health and vibrancy of the entire human race, not to mention the earth, is dependent on the bees. At the most basic level, we need the bees to pollinate the crops we need to survive. But the bees are doing so much more for the health of the planet than we may have ever realized. Of course, the ancient temples and shrines were dedicated to fertility, but it was far more than just the fertility of the people. And the bees shared with me that it was often the women who were the temple keepers, and by extension, keepers of fertility and keepers of the bees. No wonder the title bee was assigned to so many ancient women in the temples. Their work was integral to the health of the hive. The keepers of wisdom, the singers of songs, a portal who brought new life into this world from the void. And now we know where a healthy hive sings, nature spirits gather. So the bees and the nature spirits are calling out to us to create the environment they need to carry out their purpose in the world, which also ensures our survival and the survival of the planet. They're asking us to create a new network of sacred sites with our own homes and properties, nurture the conditions needed to attract the bees and the nature spirits and everything else will follow. No stone structures or pyramids required. So whether we have a larger piece of land, a house in town, or a tiny little balcony, we can anchor the light in these places we live just by being conscious of what the bees need. Meditation, crystals, offerings, and the like begins to cultivate the energy. Doing work to clear the air, balance the weather, and plant seeds whose flowers the bees will enjoy will only enhance it. In a world where a few sacred temples remain, Doing these things will create the light and energy needed for a lumen to be present. Ultimately, the bees explain to me that they are a consciousness template, an example for us all of how to live well on the earth. They are not the only template. Roses, for instance, are a template of beauty. And Bigfoot chimed in to say they are a template of love. But the bees, they are a template of harmony in every way. Not just vibrational harmony, but also harmony with each other with the earth, with the plants, with the minerals and the pollen and the sun and the cosmos. And they are right here with us every day. Perfect examples of how to live a beautiful life on earth. All we have to do is integrate their lessons into our own lives. So I hope you'll take a little time today to think about what you can offer the bees and the nature spirits, yourself and your community, as you make your home a sacred temple in honor of us all and the earth we want to inhabit. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening and for being here on earth at this moment in time. I'll be seeing you soon for season four. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. 
to find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.